Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to come and gather and worship your name. Lord God, you are so good to us. And uh, Lord, I know that every day we take that for granted in some way. But Lord, I just pray that now we would recognize that, that we would understand that you are there and that you're always you're always watching over us you're always taking care of us and uh we just want to thank you we want to praise you we want to honor you we know you're worthy thank you so much for coming to save us amen y'all can go ahead and stand That's okay. <laughs> On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ's solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand His oath, His covenant His blood supports me in the whelming flood When all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ's solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his right. Righteousness alone, for blessed to stand before the throne. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground. Sinking sand, all of.
praise Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. I asked myself why on earth would he, why, why in the universe would he do something like that? <laughs> do you guys know why? He loves you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loves you. You know, I, I, we, we hear that song. Um, I know that my family group leader at the uh, church I go to, he says, um, he, he says this a lot. Uh, Jesus loves, Jesus loves us. And uh, he loves the song, Jesus Loves Me. And, and I'm like, yeah, we think of that as a kid's song. But why don't we take that to ourselves today? Jesus loves you. You know, we like to think we're some high and mighty, you know, adult people. You know, we got this. No. <laughs> compared, compared to what's going on. We're very small, and we need to be grateful. Jesus loves us. He's with us, and he, he saw fit to fill us with his spirit. Not just that, but like as he and the Father were one, he wants us to be one with each other and one with them. Man, I think if we knew, if we knew what that really meant and what that really looked like, we would just, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We would, we would, it's so glorious, it's so amazing, it's so powerful he came. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Praise the Lord for tuners. My goodness.
joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Praise you, Jesus. Be. <laughs> 
your cross? Where would we be without you coming to this world to save us?
God, I don't know. I don't know the day you were born. I don't know the day when Jesus was born, but this is a time of year, Lord. So many of us set aside to remember that. Lord, it's critical that that happened. Where would we be if it did not happen? If you had not redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, and nation by your blood that you shed on Calvary. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all can be seated. in worship and singing this morning. That was a blessing. Good to have you all here this morning. It's good to have Papa and Mama here this morning. Welcome them back. In, in Florida, enjoying the sunshine and the golf course for a couple of weeks, and we definitely missed you guys, and uh, glad that uh, you're... <clears throat> glad that you're back, glad that uh, Mama's health continues to improve, and we're just, we're blessed to have you here again this morning. We are missing quite a few people this morning between sickness and traveling and uh, whatever the case may be, but uh, we're glad for each one that is here. Let's remember those that that aren't here, There there has been an awful lot of sickness, whether it's flu or still remnants of COVID or whatever it might be that are going around. Um, my family was down with it last weekend in the beginning of this past week, and it is not fun, <laughs> but uh, God is good, and he's uh, definitely brought healing to our family, and I just, I know it's a, it's a pretty big thing right now, it's a lot of this sickness going around, so let's pray that... Uh, God protects us physically and uh, continues to, to guide each one of us. Um, announcements, I don't know that we have anything more than what is normal, if you will. There are a few of our normal announcements written in our bulletins. Um, Steve's motioning back there like crazy, so I'm not sure what he's trying to say. <laughs> ah, the, the book. Bible uh, Bible study, uh, book study is this week at Phil's, correct? The men's Bible study, so if uh, at 6.30 there, so if you want more details on that and haven't been involved in that, uh, feel free to contact Phil. Um, we have a lot of kids here this morning, at least my three. You kids want Judd to have a lesson for you? <laughs> it is Judd that's on. Where are you, Judd? Pat? Oh, you switched? All right, you got a lesson for my kids? <laughs> Come on up here. We're missing the Hershey's and the Schroeders, and 
whoever else. All right, I'm going to sit down here. You want me to join you so you don't have to be scared of Pat? <laughs> I know what. You guys got to pick one person from the audience to be a kid. You got Noah? Come, Sherry. Caden, who do you want to pick to be a kid this morning? What about Jordan? Does he want to come up? Okay, we got another one. Okay, that's a team of kids. There we go. So, before I start with, I, I just got another story for you because I just, I had to come up with something quick because I just realized that I had to do it yesterday, so. Um, what I want you to be thinking is, what is a gift that you can give someone that isn't something, like a toy or a gift card or something like that? What is a good gift that is basically, like, free that you can give someone? So just be thinking about that, and then I'll ask you after this story. <clears throat> Here it is. Punchinello's feet dangled from Eli's workbench. This is my favorite time of year, Eli. I love Maker Day. That's great. The big, the big handed, the big handed workman smiled as he swept the sawdust from the floor. I love being your maker. This year, I want to do something really big for you. You do. Eli paused and he asked, "Like what? I don't know yet, but I'll think of something." Just being with you is enough for me, Punchinella, the woodcarver told him. But I want to do more. I like you. I love you. I want all to see. Without you, Eli, there would be no me. The little Wemmick eyes grew wide. Hey, that rhymes. He jumped off the bench and gave his maker a big hug. Just wait, Eli. This year, I'm doing something really big for you. He scampered out the door, making a song out of the words he had just said. I like you. I love you. I want all to see. Without you, Eli, there'd be no me. Be careful, little friend. Eli smiled and waved. Punchinello sang his new song all the way to Wemmicksville. The village was bustling. Wemmicks were packed. Wemmick, Wemmicks packed the street and shops. Everyone was getting ready for the big day. The wee Wemmick choir rehearsed in the village square. Workers were putting up the town tree. Some town... Some townspeople shopped, others painted windows. Everyone smiled. Maker Day made everyone happy. And Maker Day, and Maker Day made Hans the baker busy. He was busy baking a seven-layer version of his famous chocolate cherry truffle cake with, dub with double buttercream frosting. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> Punchinello loved to visit his friend with the stretched hat. He peeked into the window of the bakery to see Hans tiptoeing on the top step of a tall ladder, placing cherries around the seventh layer. The cake nearly touched the ceiling. Punchinella smacked his lips and stepped into the doorway. Hi, Hans, Punchinella called. The baker jumped and the ladder began to sway back, 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 until Hans yanked himself and the ladder, and the ladder forward and started 
falling toward the cake. Oh no! What you think? It's gonna, you think it's going to smash into the cake? Okay. <laughs> Hans had plunged right into it, but Punchinello dashed across the room, scampered up the ladder, and grabbed the baker by the collar. Whew! Hans sighed, his face within licking distance of the frosting. So that's yeah, very very close. He almost smashed it. I'm I'm sorry, Punchinello apologized. No problem, little friend. Hans replied as he climbed down the ladder. My mind was on the cake. He, tur he turned and placed his hands on his hips and beamed. Isn't it something? Triumph triumphant truffles. My cake is going to be the best part of the Maker Day Festival. Really, Punchinello said. Definitely, the very best part. Now, if you'll hand me that jar of cherries. Punchinello did. Hans climbed the ladder and started putting cherries on top. Punchinello decided to see what else was happening in Wemmicksville. See you later, Hans. But the busy baker didn't hear him. His mind was on the cherries. At the at the next shop, at the next shop, Violet's mind was on flowers. Her bouquet stood taller than the entire flower shop. But where was the florist? I've never seen so many flowers, Punchinella said to himself. Do you like it? Asked a voice from deep within the mountain of flowers. Violet peeked out at Punch through the daisies. I think I do, but it's so big. I can't see it all. It's the biggest bouquet in the history of Wemmicksville, Violet boasted as she placed a red carnation next to her white tulip. What's it for? Maker Day, of course. My beautiful bouquet will be the best part of tomorrow's Maker Day festival. But Hans just told me. Violet glared at him. Hans and his cake. Huh. Eli will like my flowers better than that baker's stack of dough. She lifted her chin and turned back to the bouquet. Oh, Punchinella swallowed. I think I'll move on. He stepped around the flowers into the street, bumping into his friend Lucia, who was reading a sheet of music. Happy Maker Day, Lucia. Same to you, Punch. I'm late for a voice lesson. A voice lesson? I'm going to sing a solo at the Maker Day Festival. My song is going to be is going to make this the best Maker Day ever. But Hans and Violet just said, but Lucia never heard him. Doctor Doctor Marvel is training me. He will accompany he will accompany me on his. Uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce that instrument. I'll just I'll just call it the instrument. I made up I made up a song today. Punchinello Punchinello started, but then he stopped. Marvel, what what kind of instrument is that? Come on, I'll show you. But we have to hurry. I can't keep Doctor Marvel waiting. Lucia grabbed Punchinello's hand and led him down the busy street, past the toy store packed with little mimics, past the dress store window painted red and green, but the huge, past the huge Maker Day tree standing in the middle of Wemmicks Square. Punchinello paused at the sight of the enormous tree. Hey, let's add some decorations to it. We don't have time, Punch. Come on. Around the corner they turned. The studios sat just off the main street. The sign over the door read, Dr. Marvel's Music Manufactory. <clears throat> the moment they closed the door, the two friends heard music erupt in the big room. Trumpets blared, flutes whistled, bunk, drums kaboomed, and tubas bellowed. Punchinella looked around for a marching band. When he didn't see one, he ducked behind Lucia. Don't be afraid, she said. That's the instrument that Dr. Marvel's playing. She, mentioned, she motioned toward the huge contraption that took up the back half of the studio. Punchinello had never seen anything like it, 
In the center sat a piano, two saxophones hung from one side, and a bass drum from the other. Five flutes dangled from the drum, trumpets stuck out above the piano, and a mechanical arm banged a spoon on a pot. On the very top, a fishing line yanked the clapper of a bell. A train whistle tooted, and trombones played in tune. Looking small in front of it sat Dr. Marvel. His hands raced back and forth between the piano keyboard and large panel of buttons, switches, and levers, each with a sign, louder, softer, more deep, big booms, pull of taps, pull, pull for taps, tugs for toots. His feet moved even faster. One, one pumped air into the instrument. The other foot pressed the bass drum pedal. The musician was in nonstop motion. Dr. Lucia called loudly, but not loudly enough. Dr. Marvel, she shouted, but still he didn't turn. Dr. Marvel, she and Punchinello yelled together at the top of their lungs. The music came to a sudden stop, and this short little Wemmick turned his head. When he saw Lucia, his thick eyebrows lifted, and he peered over his glasses. Why, come in, come in. And who is your friend here? This is Punchinello. Hello, funny pillow. Come in, please come in and rest. Isn't my music machine the absolute best? Uh, my name is Punchinello, by the way. I've never seen anything like your machine. And you never will, he, he said. Did you hear it, Bello? This invention is one of a kind, Marshmallow. Punchinello, Punch said, glaring at Lucia. She just shrugged. Dr. Marvel didn't hear it. He had turned to Lucia. And now, my dear, have you come to sing? Together, you and I will make Maker Day ring. I've been practicing my song all day, she chimed in. Punchinello spoke up. Hey, speaking of songs, I made one up for Eli, but neither Dr. Marvel nor Lucia listened. They were already turning, tuning up the organ, leaving Punchinello standing alone. He stepped, he stepped aside. He stepped outside. Maker Day is almost here, and I still don't know what I'm going to do for Eli. Just having you with me is enough, Punchinello remembered his maker saying, but he still wanted to give Eli a special gift. All the way home, he tried to think of an idea. The next morning, he was still thinking about a gift for Eli with hands deep in his pockets. Punchinello talked to himself all the way to Wemmicksville. Maybe I should make a Wemberry pie. Then he remembered how awful his pie tasted last time he made one. Nah, I can't cook. What if I made a bouquet for Eli? Then he remembered the size of Violet's flower arrangement. I can never make one that big, Punch said. Punchinello had no idea what he was going to do. It was Maker Day, and he had no gift to give his maker. Main Street overflowed with Wemmicks. Every wooden person in Wemmickville, Wemmick Valley, my bad, was, passing, was pressing toward the town square where a large circle had been roped off. In the center of the circle, the Maker Day tree sparkled. The mayor and his wife stood on a large platform before before them were three large objects hidden under pieces of canvas. Punchinello knew exactly what they were. Violet stood next to one, Hans beside the other, Lucia and Lucia paced between, the, be, paced between them, back and forth in front of the covered music machine. She looked worried. Dr. Marvel was nowhere to be seen. Punchinello caught her attention. Lucia, he shouted, where's Dr. Marvel? 
She looked over her shoulder toward the blank, the blanket, bleh, the covered instrument. That's when Punchinella saw the moving bumps under the cover. Something's broken, she said. Before Punchinello could ask more, the mayor and his wife stepped in front of the huge Maker Day Festival sign, tapped on the microphone, and announced, Happy Maker Day to everyone. The crowd cheered. Unrolling a big scroll, the mayor began to read a very boring speech, beginning being that this is Maker Day and we are made by our maker, I hereby, and so forth, with henceforth pleasure. Punch, Punch noticed Dr. Marvel peeking out from under the cover. Now, Punch, Punch noticed Dr. Marvel peeking out from under the cover, motioning to Lucia. She leaned over, she leaned over, and he whispered, and she turned red. She whispered back, and Punchinello knew something was wrong. That's when they looked at him. Lucia motioned for him to come over. He crawled under, he crawled under the ropes. You've got to help us. The air pumper is stuck. Dr. Marvel, Dr. Marvel needs you to run the controls while he keeps it working. But I don't know how to. It's easy, she interrupted. Just sit on his shoulders and do what he says, the music professor. The music professor nodded. About that time, the crowd began to cheer again. The mayor had presented Violet, Violet and her flowers. The three stopped whispering long enough to see her curtsy in front of the, in front of the bouquet. The best, part of Ma- the best part of Maker Day, shouted the mayor. Oh, no, it's not, screamed Hans. He, had a, he was already on top of the step ladder, and at a wave of his hand, a rope was yanked, and the canvas pulled straight up, unveiling his seven-layer chocolate cherry truffle cake with double, with double buttercream frosting. The townspeople gasped, then roared in approval. Violet crossed her arms and frowned, and Dr. Marvel motioned to Punchinello. Come on, Runny Jello, it's time to play. We'll be the... Will be the best part of this Maker Day. Mi- the, the, the musician, the musician sat on the bench. Punch climbed on his shoulders, and Lucia stood with her back to them, interlocked her fingers, pointed her elbows to either side, and prepared to sing. Punchinello stared at all the buttons. He gulped and thought to himself, "How will I ever do this? There are so many of them. Big blast, soft windy sounds, bells." Bells tinkling, harps singing. I don't think I can do this, he said. Before Punchinello could finish, Dr. Marvel called him into action. Honey Mellow, it's let's get flashing. Pull the lever that reads, symbol clashing. Punchinello looked all over, and then he spotted the lever and gave it a pull. Mechanical hands lifted a set of symbols, and crash, the song began. Lucia started singing. Her Lucia, Lucia started singing. Her voice warbled up and down as if someone were shaking her. Thinking she was sick, Punchinello looked over his shoulder. But Lucia wasn't sick. Why are you making that noise? He hollered at her. Pasty fellow, for for chit chat we have no time. Reach to the right and give me a chime. Punchinello pulled the rope bell and felt the music professor bouncing beneath him pushing double hardly on the air pump. Instruments came alive, blasting and blowing, surrounded Punchinello in a hurricane of music. Dr. Marvel kept shouting instructions at Punch and as Punch pushed buttons. A blast from the tuba, now strings from the cello. 
Keep alert up there, funny fellow. My name, my name is Punchinello. The lever, the lever yanking, Wemmick yelled. He leaned down so his voice would be heard. He never should have lowered his head. His forehead hit the lever labeled, let her go. And the instrument started to rumble. Wemmicks grabbed the children and covered their ears. The earthquaking platform shook the mayor out of his chair. Decorations fell from the maker tree. Lucia stopped singing. The professor started shouting, turn it down, she's starting to shake. The last thing we want is for this thing to break. But it was too late. The train whistle flew, flew first, blasting off the instrument like a skyrocket. The trombones were next, then the saxophones with the, with the boom of the kettle drum. Everything else exploded. Flutes flew, cymbals sailed, and Punch and the professor were doing all they could to turn it off. Flipping switches, pulling ropes, but nothing helped. Dr. Marvel should have stopped pumping, but for some odd reason, he pumped harder than ever. And since there were no instruments, the air blasted <coughs> through the bouncing hose, right at Hans Savinlater chocolate cake, blowing icing and cherries all over the Wemmicks. Lucia grabbed the flopping hose and yanked it away from the cake, but accidentally aimed it in the direction of Violet's bouquet. The air suddenly filled with flowers. Petals rained down on the already sticky covered, already on the sticky cake covered Wemmicks. The, villain, the villagers were stunned. One minute they were ducking, flying French horns, and the next they were showered with cake and carnations. Then, in an instant, the pandemonium stopped. The town square was quiet. The Wemmicks were in shock of the explosion. Armadillo, my friend, may I tell you something? It looks to me like you pushed the wrong button. Hans and Violet wiped, wiped clumps of dough from their eyes. The mayor and his wife looked like they were snow creatures, covered with cake frosting from head to toe. Only Lucia, the professor, and Punchinello were uncaked and unpedaled. For a long time, no one moved. No one knew what to say. That's when they heard the flute, a single, small, sweet-sounding flute. A little girl standing next to the tree, hair sticky with cake, but she was playing so sweet. At first, she didn't notice everyone looking, but when, but when she did, she stopped. I'm sorry, she blushed. She blushed. It landed in my lap. Please, Punchinello pleaded. Keep playing. Everyone nodded. The soft flute sounded nice after the bellowing instrument. Not far from the girl, an old Wemmick picked up a violin and began to play. Another villager, familiar with clarinets, found one and played along. Within a matter of within a matter of moments, a dozen musicians are standing around and playing. The townspeople really enjoyed it. Dr. Marvel sighed with relief. Lucia smiled and Punchinello raised his hand and announced, Hey every hey, every Wemmick, I've got an I've got a great idea. Eli was hard at work when he heard the music. The sound was so sweet, it made him put down his hammer and lean out the window of his workshop. Looking down the hill he saw the long line of Wemmicks. He listened with his whole heart to the words of the song. Some played it, some sang it, everyone meant it. We like you, we love you, we all agree. Without you, Eli, there'd be no we. 
when all the Wemmicks had gathered before him, Eli had to smile. The town had quite a the town made quite a choir, cake covered, flower colored, and smiling like they had never like they had never had so much fun. They sang the verse over and over until finally they stopped and applaud, applauded for Eli, and he clapped for them. What a most marvelous song! He thanked them, and what a most marvelous gift! Doctor Marvels spoke up in agreement. Mellow yellow, my friend. This moment, I must say, is without a doubt the best of Maker Day. The people applauded. Lucia nodded, and Punchinello blushed. So, you remember before I was asking you what would be a good gift that would like be free without spending anything? What would be a good gift that you could give someone? You got one? What? You forget? What about you, Tiff? Did you think of one? Love. Love, that's a good one. What about you, Sherry? I forgot my yeah. Well, one one that you can give one. If one of your friends or something is kind of sad or upset or something and they need cheered up, one gift you can give them is a hug. That one, that one just help them cheer up or something. Or if somebody's you see somebody who's doing a hard job or something, just ask them if they need help or something. Just see if they need that. But, yeah. Some of the big, a bigger gift is not always better. Sometimes it's the little gifts, like what Punchinello gave Eli. Just a little simple song like that. Sometimes it's the little gifts that mean the most. Alright? Alright. And, so... How many kids we got here? Okay, only three. All right. All right, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Here you go, Caden. Here you go, Sherry. Tiffany. And then who else wants some? Because I got a lot. I can't eat all these by myself. kid. <clears throat> All right, you, y'all can go back now. Well, the, the little kids aren't scared to ask for candy. I'm not sure why the big kids are. But hey. <laughs> so thank you, Pat. Little kids, big kids. Very good. All right, Phil's going to uh, share the word with us. Papa, why don't you lead us in a prayer asking for uh, the Lord to bless our time hearing the word and also pray for those who are sick, those who aren't here today. Lord, we thank you for our gathering here this morning, Lord. We thank you already for the encouragement, Lord, we heard through singing, Lord, and and just want to worship you and praise you, Lord. And help us, Lord, oh God, just to uh, realize, Lord, the awesomeness you are, the way you love us and all you've done so that we could be set free, so that we could be made whole. 
our sins forgiven, Lord, and we pray this worship day, Lord, would be edifying, upbuilding to us and each one of us, Lord. We pray for those who are sick, Lord. We just pray you would bless them, be with them, help them, Lord, just to realize there's better days are coming, Lord. We trust you. Lord, we're not here to stay, Lord, but we look forward to the day when we could be together with you and no more sickness, no more crying, no more tears, Lord. We just pray for Phil today. We pray you would bless him with a message, Lord, from you. We want to open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I do like this whiteboard. Sometimes I set it up and don't use it. Lucas asked me the last time, Dad, why didn't you use the whiteboard? Sometime I'll tell you the secret to that. Until then, I'll keep you guessing. Looks like somebody used a marker that doesn't come off. This does. Good. It's all right. That'll work. You can turn your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 8. The Lord has been speaking three words very strongly to my heart. And out of that, I want to share with you. And as we read this story, I'll see if you can pick up on those three words that the Lord has been speaking to my heart. Has the Lord ever spoken to you only one word, but in that one word is a whole message, a life-changing message? He does to me. This is, this time, these three words that the Lord spoken to my heart, each one of them is a life-changing message. It's a little bit like a picture. You know what they say about a picture? A picture speaks a thousand words, only one photo. And as you look at it, how many words come into your heart? So in Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And read with me. And it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve 
were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. And when a great multitude were coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot. People walked over it, and the birds of the air ate it up. Another seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Another seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Another seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. One hundred times. That's a good crop. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might mean. Do you know what it means? What does this parable mean in your life? Do you know? Do you experience it? Maybe you'll find out today. If not, I invite you to come to Jesus like these disciples and say, Lord, teach me what this parable means. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. This story is a mystery. It's not what you see at first glance. A mystery never is. You look at it. When you read a mystery, you don't understand it at first, do you? How do you go about trying to understand something that is a mystery to you? What? You research, you investigate. How about the rest of you? How do you go about understanding a problem like algebra? <laughs> That's good, brother. He asked his wife, Lucas. Ah, phone, Google, calculator. What other response do you have to mysteries, Anna? Pray. Yes, ask the Lord. What is this? Were you going to say something? Well said, Linda. Reread it. Yes, Angel? Think about it. Think through it. Begin to think on it. Very good. Tim? Ask your teacher. Pray, like Anava said. 
What other response do you give to it? Now be honest. What do you do when you don't understand something? What are sometimes something you do? Do you always do this? Is that how you honestly, for real, solve every mystery? Lucas? YouTube, okay. Christopher? You just wait. How do you wait? But then you just wait. Very good. You're patient about it. Were you going to say something, Derek? No? Are you really honest with me here this morning? Is that how you solve every mystery in your life? Yes. Ah. Jenny gets frustrated. None of us others do. That's weird. Do any of you guys, have you ever just done this? I don't get it. Went on your day. Hmm? Come on. How's the honesty coming out, is it? Just got to close the book. That's too hard for me. I don't get it. I do that all the time. We do do that, don't we? Something is so difficult. I don't get it. I don't understand it, so I close the book and go on with my life. How many times have you read God's word? Uh, Steve. Yes. Understanding. He gives you an experience. You keep your heart open. An open heart. Lord, I don't understand this. Angel. Amen. That's very good. It is rewarding. Understanding is where the reward is. That's how we get rewarded. That's why in Proverbs, I'll tell you, the Lord gave me, you know where I'm going, right? Proverbs chapter 4. When the Holy Spirit first came into my life, this word is the word the Lord gave me over and over again, repeating himself. Hear, verse 1, Proverbs chapter 4. O sons, the instruction of a father. Isn't that what Jesus just said? He who has ears. Well, of course I'm listening. What was Jesus saying? Don't you think they could have been offended? If, if, if I would just stand up and say, Hey, all you guys, if you have ears, listen to me. They had never heard those words before. No one had ever said that to them. A big multitude and this teacher... Whom they didn't see Jesus as we see him today. Oh, he was doing miracles and he was a wonderful teacher. But he hadn't yet become their savior or their Lord. And so this teacher says, if you've got ears, listen to me. Okay. Well, you think I'm not listening? I'm out here. I walked with you all this way. I'm sitting here. Hear, old sons, the instruction of a father. And give attention that you may gain, where's the prophet? Understanding. Understanding is where the gain is. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Let your heart hold fast 
my words. That's what understanding does to you. See, the gain of understanding something isn't just that means, it doesn't just mean as we think it on the surface. I understand what you're saying. That cannot be good for stay. Now, most of you couldn't understand those words. A few of you could. It's not just that difference. What I said is, you can understand me well, but you couldn't understand me well. I'm saying those, that in, in, the, in the Dutch-German language that we speak, sometimes Katie and I grew up speaking, is because I, I'm just pointing an illustration to you. That difference of speaking in English or speaking in another language is not what Jesus was talking about. That's not what God is talking about. He's talking about something different. When you understand his words, they enter your heart and they profit you. They change you. You retain them. It becomes your life. An experience. You see the difference? Listening and understanding the language is one thing. But you may walk out of this building and not experience those words ever. It was a good sermon. It was a good word. But you walk out the door unchanged. You didn't experience that truth. But Jesus is saying, and God is saying to his people, he who has ears to hear, receive this word so that it changes your life. You're going to experience this truth. Whoa. Are you ready for that? Every time you open your Bible, you say to the Lord, I want to experience this truth. You know what you're asking for. You will experience it. But if you don't, you come just for a good story. You come just to put in your time. You come to listen, but not to experience. You will hear the story, but you'll quickly forget it. You will never forget the experience. Never. Because it changes your life. It's like going to a funeral. You can go to a funeral of someone that's not related to you, and you may have known of them, but you never knew them well. They're not close to you. You didn't do life together with them. And you go there, and you feel sad, and you, you hear, you know, you, you go to the funeral, and, and, and you hear the words, and you share consoling words. But when you know them, when it's your family, and you've done life with them, it changes your life. That funeral has changed your life. You understand the different experience? These words are about to give you a funeral. Are you ready for that? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. It's just in stories. In order that seeing they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Why? 
Why did Jesus decide to share the kingdom of God that way to the multitude? There is a reason why. And you will find that reason in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus says the story as Matthew records it to us. And there, Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why, Jesus? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Do you understand that? Hmm? Do you know what Jesus is talking about there? You don't if you haven't experienced it. You see, I've experienced that truth many times. And you have too. But maybe you just don't understand what you're experiencing. What did Jesus mean? Wait a minute. He's saying this is how it is. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. But he, and he shall have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. And Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Why? Listen to this. This is us. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I shall heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I'm curious to wonder, and I would love to hear your testimony. I think it would be a wonderful conversation among us to share with each other this testimony. How has this been true in your life? Have you, has what you have had been taken away from you? I'll tell you how it's been taken away from me. When the Lord shows me truth, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, while I'm going through my day or while I'm sitting here reading the word and in prayer and he convicts me of a truth, Bill, do this. It can be a simple word as you weren't kind in how you spoke to your children yesterday or to your wife or how you related to that businessman. Go tell him you're sorry. Go repent. And I say, yeah, I'll do that. Linda. Yes. Be still and know that I am God. So it's, it's a powerful word. 
When the Lord speaks a word and we don't obey, immediately, you don't just follow through, guess what happens? What happens, Steve? You forget it, don't you? And you know what? You don't do it. And the truth you had, here's what I haven't realized so often in my life, the strength, the powerful impact of how important it is to when I hear, to obey. Because when I, when I don't, what I had, I lose. Not only do I lose that obedience, I lose the peace I had before that. Even what I had, I lose. You see how important it is? That's what Jesus was talking about. How we hear is very important. The Word of God. How we hear. Going back to Luke chapter 8. And to those, I'll begin again in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the Word from their heart. So that they may not believe and be saved. The devil is here right now. He's always there. When you and I hear the word of God, he's there like a bird on our shoulder to take it. And he will always take it unless you and I quickly take it from him. Take it into our heart. You see, it comes into the brain. The brain is the soil. But the depth of the soil out of the heart is where it grows. And if you take that and you bring it into obedience, that's the difference between the head and the heart. When you walk in faith, you believe the word, you obey it, it enters from your head into your heart. You've experienced it. Now you've experienced the word of Christ and the power of it. Now let me give you the other side of the coin. When you take it and you immediately go to your wife and you tell her, I'm really sorry, hon. Please forgive me. Will you forgive me? That wasn't kind. And she says, yes, I forgive you. What happens? Joy fills your heart, right? You've experienced the power of the word. More is given to you in abundance. The reward You've gained it. That's what Jesus is talking about. And those, verse 13, on the rocky soil, are those when they hear and receive the word, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. They do it at first. Oh, and they get the joy, and they're so happy. And they'll do it once, and they'll do it twice, they might do it three times, but after a while, when the devil comes and tells you, you're just not good enough. You're a fool. You always make the same mistake. This is not a good way to live, always apologizing for your mistakes. 
and he discourages you because of your weakness, you give up. You know what? I've tried this. doesn't seem to be working well for me. And because it doesn't seem to be working well for you, you chuck it. You say, I'm not doing this anymore. In time of temptation, they fall away. Verse 14, and the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones which ha who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. They begin. It grows up. When they're tempted, They stay with it, but then something happens. What happens in your life? I'll tell you what happens in my life. I get busy. I get busy. I have many times been convicted deeply by the Holy Spirit to spend more time with Jesus, perhaps more time reading the Word, or time in prayer, or to spend more time with our sons, or with others in the church ministering, or it can be all kinds of things. And, and I sit here and I hear it and I say, yes, Lord, by your grace I will. And I begin to do it and it's wonderful and, and my joy is becoming fuller and fuller and I'm excited about it and, and the devil tempts me and I say, no, I'm going to keep on doing it even if it's not working out, right? I'm going to keep on doing it. But then as time goes on, three months down the road, four months down the road, I hardly even realize it, but something else is growing in my life too. You see, that, that will Keep that obedience from becoming mature. And what Jesus is talking about here is that it brings forth fruit. It is fruitful for a while, but it never becomes ripe. Mature, fruit that is mature is delicious. And so my obedience never tastes delicious to others or gives them encouragement. I'll tell you, one encouragement you don't have to speak to others is maturity nothing you say it's just your life the faithfulness of your life and you do it and it becomes a part of who you are and people watch that they experience that with you Your wife, your husband experienced that. Your children experienced that with you. This is because that's what dad does. That's who he is. And it becomes a, a wonderful, delicious thing about you that people enjoy about your life. Maturity. But these three things will choke it out. Other things begin to grow. Other things begin to take, overpower it and choke it out. Anxiety, riches, and pleasures. Distraction. 
is one of the devil's most powerful tools. Distraction. Don't underestimate that powerful tool. Distraction. And the seed in the good soil. Verse 15. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest. Honest and good heart. That's why I kept kind of encouraging, come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest about how we hear. Because honesty is the first ingredient of the good soil. I have never in my life experienced the power of God's word if I wasn't honest. Never. Not even once. Do you know denial is one of the greatest deceptions self-deceptions that Satan convinces us of. Most people who have addictions, whatever they are in their life, will deny it. I've talked with so many people, and I'll, I'll use a, a bit of the extreme. I've talked to so many people, especially who had addictions of alcohol or drug abuse or something that was an abuse in their life, and they were addicted to this. I've talked to... You wouldn't believe how many Christian men, Christian men in the church, they do most everything right in their life. They come to church regularly. They're disciplined. They're good husbands. They're good fathers. They work hard. They're good providers. But silently, they're addicts to pornography. And you know how many of those men will deny it? Every one of them. If you are an addict, you are a denier. There's no way you'll remain an addict once you become honest. You won't. It's denial that locks us in a prison. Because we say, it's not that bad. I can change if I want to. I can always change when I want to. I'll change. It's this denial that locks us in a prison because we don't come to Jesus with an honest heart and say, this is exactly who I am. I am a slave to sin. Jesus said that if a man sins habitually, he's a slave to sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. That word commit means you commit it over and over and over. That's just what you do. It's like getting up in the morning. It's what you do. You commit it, you commit it, you commit it. If you do that in your life, you're a slave, Jesus said. But the way for me to continue to live with this is I have to convince myself I'm not a slave. Just like they did. They said to Jesus, Jesus said, uh, verse 31, Jews, Jesus therefore was saying to the, those Jews who have believed in him, these were believers, if you abide in my word, then are you truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's listening with understanding from the head to the heart. It sets you free to obey. And his commandments, as 1 John 5 says, are not a burden. 
They're not burdensome. They don't wear me out. They set me free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? They didn't see themselves as slaves. But the whole nation was enslaved to Rome. But far worse, Jesus was talking about another kind of slavery. A slavery of your inner man. You see, we were created before sin. Adam was not a slave to his flesh. Adam was in control. His spirit controlled his soul and his body. And his spirit was under the control of his creator. He had fellowship with him. Open fellowship. But the moment he sinned, the first thing he did when hearing God's voice in the garden. What did he do? Ran and hide. Denial. Running and hiding from God's voice. Thinking he can... Wait a minute. Are you fooling yourself, Adam? You think you can hide from your creator? Yep, we're just like him. We think we can hide stuff in here and in here and in our bedrooms or on my phone. Somehow we think we can hide. But are you hiding? Not any more than Adam was. God's voice will find you there. And it finds you there for the very purpose of setting us free. From being a slave. Adam had become a slave to his wife and to the devil. Ultimately to the devil. To sin. And through his, his wife's convincing him. You see, they didn't see themselves as sin, as slaves. But Jesus said, I'm telling you, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. For real. For real. Jesus sets us free. I want to look at these three things. In, in every one, you can write this down if you like, in every one of the Gospels where this is recorded, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 13, in Mark chapter 4, and in Luke chapter 8, this story is recorded. And in every one of them, these three things Jesus said are robbers in our life. And so, yep, I'm going to get to the blackboard. I'm going to use it this way. The word of God in my life. The first robber of the word of God in your life today and every day is a thing we underestimate the most. In fact, for so long in my life, I've lived in denial of this truth. I didn't even believe I didn't see its effects. I thought I could live with it and be okay. The truth is, none of us can. Every day, I was being robbed until I recognized this as sin. As a sin that robs the word of God from entering my heart. 
to where I get to obey Jesus in everything he says to me. And this is the first truth that he speaks of. Go back to Luke chapter 8, and let's look at it. And actually, I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 4, because in Mark chapter 4, he calls it a different word. He calls it the worries, verse 19, he calls it the worries of the world. In Matthew 13, he calls it, or in another translation, he calls that the cares of life. Let's look at Matthew 13, and there he calls it, again, the worries of the world. The cares of life, in one word, is anxiety or worry. How many of you believe that's a sin in your life? What do you do with that? You think you can live with it? Too many times I do. In fact, you know what I've done so often in my life? I've even justified it. I need to think this through. I'm a man. I need to figure this out. And I felt like a part of worry was good because it makes me think about it. Really? Is that how Jesus said to deal with the cares of life? No, he didn't. He said, that will choke out the word, the effectiveness of what I want to share with you of how to deal about it. If you come unto me, I'll tell you how to deal with it. Be still and know that I am God, as he told you. And unless I quiet my heart and give all, casting all my care, 1 Peter 5, upon him, knowing he cares for me, unless I do the casting, I won't know he cares for me. In fact, very quickly, we'll believe he doesn't. The first thing, the first ingredient that I see in my life and that I hear through all testimonies is this. Anxiety causes you to distrust God. Unbelief. Does God really care? Is he true? Is he going to take care of me? Unbelief. And Hebrews chapter 10 warns us strongly, be careful, brothers, lest any of you fall away from the living God through an evil heart of unbelief. He calls it evil. Here's what I found in my life, that Jesus meant what he said in Matthew chapter 6. He meant it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Why not, Jesus? You don't want me to care about my life? He's talking about an anxious heart. As to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? This week, as I got up one morning, I was feeling anxious. I was worried about something. And I thought it was pretty legit. 
need to worry about this. And I got up and I looked out the window of our house. We have a little bird feeder out there in the tree. But I wasn't seeing the birds in the bird feeder. They were down on the ground picking up the seed that had fallen from the squirrels jumping on that feeder. The squirrels are robbers. They were robbing those birds. They weren't letting the birds on the bird feeder. But the bird didn't get anxious and hate the squirrel. I didn't even see one of the birds fight with the squirrel. They just went down to the ground and took the leftovers. They seemed happy to me. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you to look at the birds? I remember many years ago, my wife and I, shortly after our son Christian had passed away, and we were in we were in experiencing a lot of difficulty in life. And we had a lot of financial challenges. After he died, many doctor bills became due. And all of a sudden the the, the supplemental things that the government was giving us because of him went away. And the doctors wanted the money, and I had no clue how we were going to pay this. We didn't have the money. And they called us and they said, we're going to put it on every one of your credit cards. That if, you have, if you have any credit cards, we're going to take it available. We're going we're to maximize your credit. We're going we're to start looking for assets. We're taking your house. And at that moment, someone, and we were invited to a wedding in Florida. And in in Someone paid for our trip to go to this wedding. We weren't going to go, but the Lord provided. It was in 2008, I think. And I hadn't been to the beach in many, many years, to the ocean. I remember getting there. We got there late at night, and the next morning, I just went for a walk, and I was crying. God. I was struggling with all of this stuff that was going on in our life. What are you doing to us? Do you care? And the Lord spoke to me, look at the birds. And I began to look around. And the seagulls were all over the beach. And the Lord said to me again, look at them. And I looked. And every one of those seagulls were fat. There was not a skinny one in the bunch. And the Lord said to me, sit down and watch them for a while. And I just sat there. And you know what I noticed? Seagulls would swarm out together over the water. You know, maybe this high off the water, some a little higher. And they'd, whoo, once in a while, they'd dive into the water. And one would come up with a fish. Actually, before he came up with a fish, what I noticed is most of the time they dove, they came up without a fish. I thought, how's that? But they're all fat. But I would say probably only one out of ten times or so did they actually catch a fish. And when he came up with a fish, something else happened. When one got a fish, he would bring it over to the seashore, and all of a sudden the whole flock of birds was after him, and there was a big fight for the fish. And many times he lost the fish. But do you know what the seagull did? He just rose up again out over the water, and he kept fishing. And the Lord said, look at them. They're fat. They're well provided. This is life. Trust me. 
be just like a bird. Anxiety takes away not only what I can hear, because I don't know about you, but when you're really anxious about something, when I am, I can't hear well. I don't hear much of what you're saying to me when I'm anxious, because my thoughts are internal. So number one, I don't listen well. But secondly, I become a Saul. In 1 Samuel, the Lord showed this to me again as I looked at this truth of my own life. Samuel's first, I mean Saul's first mistake as king was anxiety. God tested this man with anxiety. And God tests us. The first thing that Jesus told us, watch out for when I speak to you, is anxiety. It will always rob you from living like a bird. The heart of a bird. Just trusting your Heavenly Father. And taking, going where the food is and receiving from Him. Saul, you can read here in 1 Samuel 13. I'll read just a little bit to you. Verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. And 6,000 horsemen. And people like the sand which is on the seashore. Wait, have you ever seen an army like that come against you? I never have. 30,000 chariots and horses. 6,000 foot soldiers. And a multitude like the sand of the seashore. Do you think that God stretched it here? I don't think so. In abundance, and they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth Haven, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed. Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. They were all about to die. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. Samuel had said, wait for me seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came about as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering that behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come with the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling a mishmash. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Israel would not be the house of David. It would be the house of Saul, Benjamin. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, not his head, heart. The one difference between Saul and David was this. David 
never panicked with anxiety. He trusted the Lord his God and obeyed boldly. Saul panicked. Anxiety, I've realized in my life, will always cause me to panic. And panic always leads me to disobedience. Always. Unless the Lord stops me in the tracks and says, stop. Be like the bird. Come obey me. Don't underestimate anxiety. See it as a slave of sin. If I have an anxious heart, I am a slave to sin. That's it. It enslaves me every time. It rules over my life. And it causes me to disobey the words of Jesus. It does. And I'll end up committing sacrilege. Saul, the kings, were never allowed to do priestly sacrifices. Those two offices were only to come together in one man, Jesus Christ. And until Jesus came as king of kings and then also as the high priest, those two offices in Israel were never to have been brought together. They were separate and to be kept separate. King Uzziah did the same thing. When he rose in power, he decided, I can go into the temple and offer incense to the Lord. And the Lord smote him with leprosy. And his son had to rule over Israel over that time. Only in Christ Jesus have those two offices come together. You can read about this in Zechariah. It's a very interesting study. Read it sometime. Where God says, only in Jesus will those two come together. And now they have in Jesus. And so God was jealous over them. That's what happens to me. I not only begin to not trust God. I jump ahead of him because I'm panicking just like Saul. I do things in a religious kind of way, thinking I'm getting God's favor when I'm actually committing disobedience. That is a bad robber. And so many of God's children, we don't get it. We actually believe we can be anxious and be saints. We can live with anxiety and still do the will of God. Please, Jesus, read our Bibles, pray, but walk out into a world and be anxious over and over and over again all day long, ruled by anxiety but professing Christ. You can't. You can't do it. You're being fooled, and I am too, unless we first see this for what Jesus said it is. Sin that robs us from experiencing the truth of God's word. I'm going to quit there. I'll continue later. God bless you. Let's pray together. Because this one here is so... I don't know if you're convicted by this, but I sure am. I just want to take a moment to say, to give each one of us the opportunity to, in our hearts, come before Jesus and recognize this robber. And cast all of our care upon him, knowing he cares for us. 
and allow Jesus to deliver us from this, this sin, this addiction of anxiety. And the fallout of it, the ruin of it, in my relationship to my wife or my sons or business, in the world. Oh, how it ruins us every time. Causes us to fight and quarrel about things. Causes us to speak about things. Causes us to do things that Jesus is not in it. Oh, Lord, I pray, come, I, I pray, minister this deep grace to my own heart and in each of our hearts today. Lord, you know, I was, I was going to go through all these, these, these things, Lord, but you didn't want me to. just want us to stop right here because it's the first one and it's a big one. In every one of our lives, all of us humans, none of our exempt, We've got to conquer this one and be delivered from this anxiety, this addiction to anxiety. Oh, Lord, come, I pray, and lead us into your rest. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our faith in you, Lord, in every area of our life so that we're not enslaved to anything, but are free, set free. To listen and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to share, you know how I, by now some of you who know me, you know I like to encourage you with other authors. How many of you have heard of Elizabeth Elliot? You've heard of her, right? Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth. She now went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. She wrote this book, Keep a Quiet Heart. Highly recommend it to you. I learn from those who've gone on before us, from other believers who've walked this way and shared their experiences. And if you don't learn from the multitude of witnesses, there's one thing Satan's going to do in your life. He's going to isolate you, make you think you're all alone in this fight. And there he'll conquer you. He'll slay you there. And I've learned in my Christian life that not only do I learn from Jesus, but Jesus has given me a great cloud of witnesses to learn from those who've gone before us and receive instruction and help from how they learned Christ. Oh, it's a wonderful blessing to me. That's why I so often when I share the word, I get some books, I get some authors and say, this one here has really been a blessing to me. I do it to encourage you likewise. So I believe that we as God's people are stronger together. And when I realize who I'm a part of, God's family, that I'm a part of, wow, it makes me realize when I'm fighting this struggle of anxiety in my heart, Lord, I'm not alone in this fight. And they give us clues as to how they fought. And we can learn that way from each other. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word. You know, uh, 
What? What was the seed again? In that picture? What was the seed? The word of God. Now, did you notice, you know, Phil didn't touch on all the different types of, of soil. We were talking about the uh, anxiety in the world, uh, the cares of the world choking things out. Uh, that yeah, hit home to me probably more than any of the other uh, types of soil, if you will. Anyway, but if you notice the, the different types of soil, did you notice a difference in the type of seed that was sown in each one of those soils? Yeah. There was no difference, right? God didn't say, well, a little bit of less... A little bit less of the word here for this soil. Won't do so much over here. That was the one thing in that whole story, that whole parable, that was the same, that didn't change. The word of God. The soil changed. Circumstances in people's lives changed. The decisions people made changed. The word of God did not change at all. And that's one thing you can take to the bank every time. If there's a problem with the soil, if there's a problem with the circumstances, the problem isn't the seed. The problem isn't the word of God. It's still, it's still there. It's still available. It's still faithful. God says it will bring forth fruit. We can count on that. Amen. All right, that uh, brings us to the close of this part of the service. And now for the fellowship and the food, which I believe is ready. We'll uh, partake of that and, and uh, Lord willing, have a good time of fellowship here. So. If you're able and would like to, let's stand. We'll have a closing prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you for your word to us this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that your word never changes. It is always there. It is always speaking life if we are there to take it in. I pray that that would be the desire of each of our hearts today, throughout this week, that we would take in your word and that it would root out all anxiety, all worry, and everything that is not from you. Father, I pray that this would be the desire of each heart here today. I thank you for the food that you have provided for us. I pray your blessing on it and on our time of fellowship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.